Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Alan Reed. Alan is the president and design principal for GWWO Architects. He has been with the firm since its inception, and during his career, he's been focused on planning and design of facilities that engage users, foster interaction, and enhance communities. A member of the American Institute of Architects College of Fellows, he has established a strong design ethic at GWWO, elevating the firm's reputation for design that is tailored to each project's unique program, users, and site. He's a member of the Maryland State Architectural Review Board and the American Institute of Architects FAIA Advisory Committee. And in the past, he's been a board member of numerous professional and community organizations. GWWO is a thriving architectural practice serving cultural and educational clients nationwide uh, with their offices in Baltimore, Maryland, and West Hartford, Connecticut. Through their work, GWWO strives to enrich the human experience through responsible design that is inspirational and progressive. They achieve this through focusing on cultural and educational facilities uh, with an emphasis on lifelong learning. Firm's design excellence has been recognized with over 100 local, state, and national awards, including the 2020, 2021, and 2023 AIA Maryland Public Buildings of the Year. Some of other most recent achievements include the honorable mention to the Architects Newspaper Best of Practice Awards, ranking by the Architect Magazine as a top firm in sustainability, Designation as a leading designer of museums, galleries, and cultural facilities by building design plus construction, and dozens of best places to work awards based on employee feedback. With all that awesome stuff said, Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you. That's uh, that sounds like the whole show right there. Yeah, that's it. That today, that's, that's good, all we got for you, folks. Good. So we're we're gonna. Sign off. Uh, it sounds like you're do. You've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot. GWWO uh, is done a lot. Uh, but we want to hear it from you. You tell us about uh, how you got into architecture, uh, and tell us about the firm. Well, I guess how I got into architecture. I mean, um, you know, I was one of those guys that uh, when I think about it, I always wanted to be an architect. I don't think I knew what an architect was until I actually went to college to become one. Um, but sort of fell in love with it. You know, to me, it was it was like what a lot of people, I think, think we do, which is draw floor plans and pretty buildings. And I think what attracted me to the profession is sort of the storytelling aspect. And, um, you know, we talk about story based design all the time and the fact that architecture can really enhance people through design, through telling stories. So, um, you know, went to college in the Midwest. Um, uh, got out of college, sort of did a coin flip because I thought I should try something different. I end up in Baltimore, uh, sort of did the the normal, you know, young graduate thing. I went to a couple of firms in a couple of years trying to figure out, you know, who I was, what I wanted. Um, ultimately found myself with what is one of the founding partners of this firm. We had a small, there were just four of us, small firm. Uh, we practiced for about a year and then had an opportunity to merge with another small firm. Uh, we did that in 1990. Um, there were eight of us at the time. And now we're about 70. And as you mentioned, the two offices. So it's just been an incredible honor to sort of 
grow with the firm and to see it grow and and to watch people grow uh, with it. So it's been a fun journey. No, and I love uh, the storyteller piece. As the chief storyteller, it's about migration. I love another storyteller, and there's lots of ways to tell story, uh, which we're certainly going to talk about today. Um, sure. One of the big things that you had said to me or said to me and Will in the beginning when we asked, how did you grow or why did you grow? And you said, it was inevitable to grow, which is like such a such a boss statement, as, as they yeah. would say. So <laughs> explain that to us. How, most people don't have that problem. Well, you know, we, we weren't trying to grow. It was just inevitable. Well, you know, it's funny because we, we talked a little bit about this. Our goal was not growth, right? Our goal was to, well, it was it was to grow good design. We wanted to be, we wanted to really focus on good design. And I mentioned those two firms that came together in 1990. Uh, they were both small firms. One was more focused on sort of business, the business aspect of architecture. Uh, that was sort of my early legacy. The other was uh, known as a one of the local design firms. So it had a design reputation. And we thought, wow, we'll just put these two together and we'll live happily ever after. It um, ultimately kind of worked out that way, but we struggled for, well, the first eight years. So we've, we merged in 1990, 1998, uh, and I was part of that firm. I wasn't a principal. In 1998, I became, I replaced the design principal. He retired. And the four of us, there were four uh, principals at the time, we kind of looked around and we said, it's it, we weren't really getting anywhere. We weren't growing. We, we didn't really know. We knew what we liked to do. Um, so we, we had a retreat. And since that time, we've had a retreat every year. And we said, what do we like to do? And what do we want to do? And that's where we came up with this, you know, the idea of cultural and educational work. So we only do three. We started out only really doing three things. Uh, K through 12, higher ed and culture, which had sort of subgroups, which was theaters and museums. And over time, the cultural side has grown to include nature centers, visitor centers, anything having to do with interpretation. And then most recently, um, more community centers. So we we kind of talk about lifelong learning and impacting people's lives through uh, lifelong learning. But that focus in 1998, where we said, what do we really want to do and what we like to do? That's what made it much more enjoyable. And that's what it's allowed us to grow. So we've never wavered really from that. And we've grown organically uh, because we've we've gotten more work, you know, inbound work. And we've been able to establish ourselves in those in those fields. So it's been great. So. uh and niching down, if you will, right? A lot of a lot of firms will say, well, there's lots of things we can do. We can do housing, we can do commercial spaces, we can do industrial space, you can do lots of stuff. But you found that educational cultural niche and then said, This is this is who we are. You know, you, you said, What do we like to do and what what do we want to do? And, and what are we good at? Yeah, what, what are we good, good at? at? Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, a lot of people I, I shouldn't say that, I guess. But I think there are a lot of firms that chase trends and work and, and they're trying to grow and they're trying to pick up new market sectors. And that's just not us. I mean, again, we enjoy what we do and, and we're being successful. And I think that really is the key to to what we've been able to do. Of course, that's me talking. So. No, that it, it's worked out from uh, eight to uh, seventy. There's you're doing something uh, right, uh, which was a, a big theme in the pre-interview. I felt like you, you were more hesitant to say like this works, and I'm like, well, it does work. It, it absolutely works. The proof's in the pudding because your your firm is is doing great stuff. So um, when we think of eight to seventy, there's that's a lot of people adjustments. It's a lot of communication adjustments. It's a lot of change in how uh, things are being managed. What does that look like? You you were there in the beginning. What does that What did that look like then? What's that look like now? Uh, well, hopefully, it looks a lot. It's very similar, right? So in the beginning, again, small firm, um, really great culture, very familial culture, if you will, um, very collaborative atmosphere. We all, by nature of being very small, as a lot of small firms, we had to work on all the projects. We had to work together, had to sort of develop our skills in in those, those market sectors. Um, 
and culture for us is is really everything. Like we wanted that as we grew. And I don't remember when it was. We were probably around 30, 40, where it was getting less manageable, right? We we felt ourselves sort of eking into that corporate firm sort of mentality. And we said, how do we address this? So um you know, a lot of firms develop studios, you know, we have sort of three market sectors. So you'd have your K through 12 studio and your higher ed and your cultural studio. We really didn't want that. We, we felt that our strength was in everybody being able to do everything. So we did establish three teams and we don't call them studios. Uh, And the idea is that all three of those teams do the depth and breadth of our work. So it's been really beneficial in a lot of ways. It's It allows us to cross train. There's sort of a plug and play mentality. So as one, uh, one team gets more work, we can simply take a person and move them over and they already have that knowledge and they can jump in and, and contribute. There's not the, competi- the competition that you see with studios for market sector. Uh, so I feel like we're all in this together. And then the the studios, uh, studio, the studios, the teams um, have a uh, team leader and they sort of operate each team like a mini firm. So that, again, they're doing all the work. They're doing everything from top to bottom on that team. We do mix and we pull people, you know, move people back and forth and give them experience across the firm. But I think that allows people to have that very close relationship with, you know, a dozen other people. And it kind of maintains that that firm mentality. And then, you know, we do a lot of other things to 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 educate, to have fun and and bring the, you know, the whole firm together. But that's sort of it in a nutshell, I guess. So speaking of education, there was something that you talked about in the pre-interview that I really liked is that mentorship is really big at the firm. Can you talk a little bit, you have kind of a formalized mentorship program. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, (laughs) Because I thought this was super unique and what you guys do. I'm not sure what you're, exactly what you're talking about, but I can talk about that idea. I mean, um, you know, everybody in this firm has a critical role. It doesn't matter what you're doing. So we think it's really important to mentor uh both directions, top down, bottom up. I mean, we're all mentors to each other. And so we've we've sort of designed around that. We have tons of, uh, I probably listed the, the programs. You know, we do, it's always G something, G tech, G tot. Uh, the G tech is, is sort of the, the standard lunch and learn. You know, we bring in vendors from outside and they'll talk about their products. They'll talk about that kind of stuff. GTOT is more technology. We have a, a specialist, uh, technology specialist, and he often leads them and talks about the latest softwares, hardwares, how we how we use them, how we incorporate them into the practice. Um, we do design conversations, which is about you know developing presentation and critique skills. We do those uh, once a month. We've got soft skills lab, we call it skills lab, where we teach soft skills like marketing, you know, how to talk, how to how to record meetings, whatever. There's a lot of, you know, things that aren't designed that go into that. Guidelines, we have five different committees that the upper management, I should upper management being associate levels and above. Uh, we think those titles are important. So they all participate in management of the firm through a design committee operations committee, technology, construction, education. And then, you know, there's always fun events. We do happy hours on Fridays and we just really push mentorship in every aspect, right? Um, That's what makes us strong. That's what always is going to make us strong. And understanding how how communication goes back and forth from those teams through those conversations is really critical. Um. You'd also talked a little bit about the 100 hours of additional education. Well, we encourage people to do that and we give them a stipend so that they can go out and do that. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. We do a lot of things to um, 
we do that. We have we encourage people to get involved in the community. So we give them two days of time that they can uh, do whatever they want to do. We also have um, um, G Works, which is now a, sort of a more philanthropic thing. So we put it together and and they'll they'll send out an email for everybody that wants to get involved with say X community in Baltimore. We just did a um, a local community park, the entire team, the entire firm spent a, a day building structures in the park. And it's really that, you know, sort of, it is team building, but it's having fun and it's, and it's giving back. And that's again, just a big part of our culture. So we're always encouraging that. So it's a big investment. You're doing a lot of in, really investments into the firm uh, for your people. Um, yeah. I think it says a lot in terms of keeping your people, keeping your people happy, and also, you know, rising sort of the tide to rise all the ships within your company. Yeah. Uh, super cool in how you're doing that. And, you know, not everything is directly money-making, but indirectly, okay. it allows you to be, you know, money making, right? So you're really investing towards towards the future. So yeah, I think, yeah, you know, I listen to you guys talk occasionally and um, more than occasionally, but, you know, people talk about relationships all the time, right? And I think having all those opportunities and, you know, it it, it helps people build their network. And I think a lot of this stuff that we do in-house just helps people learn how to communicate, learn how to make those connections. Um, you know, I talked about design conversations where people from the firm present, we've been doing this thing for the last year about your favorite building. So we have two people present their favorite building, why it is. And then we talk about them in contrast and compare. And it's, I mean, at the core, it's it's learning. It's telling a story about what they why they like a building, but but it's it's mentorship because it's teaching them how to present. It's making them comfortable in front of people. Um, we're talking about critical discourse, which you know we say you know we're definitely a design firm, and the best design firms are able to critique their own work. Right? You just because you have an idea doesn't make a great design. You have to be able to be critical about that work. And so we're trying to, through some of these activities, you know, mentor those skills. Yeah, that's the thing about building uh, art, right? Like, how can it be better? What could we done? Sometimes that's post-discussion, sometimes that's during, right? Like, how do we make this sure. the, the best possible that we can right now? And a lot of that is reflection, right? It is, hey, this Certainly. is a good idea. How do we make it a great idea? How do we make it an excellent idea? How do we make it a GWWO idea, right? Like, you know, really bringing it up that way. Yeah. Um, you talked about obviously developing your people uh, huge, right? That is a, a massive portion of your culture. So in turn, what does that look like uh, for business? What does that look like for, you know, retention of those employees? Uh, it's really great. I mean, you know, I mentioned my own experience. You know, I, I went to a couple firms in a couple years, but our retention rate is something like upwards of 15 years. So it's really good. And when you consider, we sort of look at it like two or three years is sort of that, that critical time. Like a lot of younger people out of school um, want to experiment. They want to go other places, but once somebody has been here for two or three years, we feel like we've got a really good chance that they're going to be here for a long time. One of my partners, it's the only place he's ever worked associate principal we have an associate principal it's the only place he's ever worked and i'm sure there's there's others but those guys have been around for 30 30 years so or wow. 25 25 years so you know a quarter of a century we you know we celebrate anniversaries <laughs> every, we have a staff meeting every um once a month and we always uh, celebrate anniversaries and it's fun to talk about things like you know a quarter of a century with the firm or decades with the firm so it's again i you know, I just heard this quote. It was, um, if you love what you do, you never go to work. And I, I don't know who said it. It was in some movie somewhere. But but I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, that's what we do here. I mean, you got to have fun with what you're doing. So we just try to, try to um, push that as much as we can. Yeah, Alan, uh, 
in the interactions we've had, it's it's made me want to become an architect to go work for GW. Oh, that's good. Uh, you know that that says something in the small amount of interactions we've had. Uh, and, and you know, to fully, oh, I'll be an architect. That sounds good. I could never do that. I'm just it's not it's not built in my brain. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, you know, keeping people requires first getting people. How do you find those people? How do you get those people? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, until about eight months ago, six months ago, um, we have so we have seven principals here, seven owners, and it was sort of our task for the first 32 years. We sort of took care of that, right? We'd get resumes in, we'd look at them, we'd interview them, and we got to a point where again, we've we've been very fortunate, we've enjoyed success. But we got to a point where we said, you know, we really need to to focus full time on this. And I mentioned those retreats earlier at our last retreat. um, We really codified our strategic plan. We're in the process of codifying a strategic plan. I would say that that first retreat in 1998 was sort of a strategic plan. It wasn't really written down, but there were only eight of us or nine of us at the time. So it wasn't hard to remember. Now we've said, you know, we really want to have some codify some some guiding principles. But anyway, as part of that retreat, um, we said we should really have a full time recruiter. And we didn't we didn't want to hire a recruiter. I mean, not to disparage them at all, but I mean, they get paid a lot of money. They feed you a whole bunch of people and we really wanted to be able to vet them. So. Um, we have an associate principal and we asked him if he would take on that job. And so his entire job now, most of his job, he still is is critical on projects and um, is an expert in, in certain fields. But so his job is really recruiting, retention and development. So he's constantly bringing people in. He pre-vets everybody himself and then he'll bring him in and sit them with one or two principals or maybe a team leader and a principal to interview then we'll hire and then sort of development so he 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 has touch points with them he goes back to them still a work in progress but it's working really well Um, we've hired i think six people since that started we just again we've been very fortunate we identified a need for another six people so we're um it's been working really well and we're not, and we're not having to. I mean, we're paying him, but we're but we're not paying somebody out of house to just feed us tons of resumes. We're we're able to be more selective that way. So I, I think it's been it was really a good choice in retrospect, and it's working really well. You know, it's super interesting that you find that you've essentially designated to someone one of your principals specifically. It's almost like having a head of HR. So you're kind of going more the the corporate structure route rather than your traditional, you know, principles in a, in an architecture firm route uh, by designating certain people to certain type of um, we'll, we'll call it roles. Uh, and I found this super fascinating. You have, is it seven roles, seven roles, uh, which are seven principles and you have seven roles. It's, there's, with those principles. There's, it's really five. So, um, I mean, I, we certainly are principals in charge of projects, right? So we, mm-hmm. we, we split all the projects up. They all have a principal in charge. But, and this is really how we decided to manage the firm. So it's design, business. We have two principals that are involved in design. I sort of am the lead um, design principal, uh, one of my partners. So I do, uh, my job is mostly... Um, you know, I'm involved throughout projects, especially as a principal in charge, but involved with early conception of design, right? So get the ball rolling, work with the team. Um, I'm not designing it. I'm working with them to design. That's I think that's really important in this firm is everybody here is a designer. We push that constantly. Uh, but nonetheless, I'll be involved early on. And then as I sort of fade out, the other principal comes in and does sort of follow through. And of course, all of this is based in the story we're trying to tell, the big idea for the project, right? So there's that continuity. But we have two principals who are involved in design. There's in leading design, I guess. There's a business principal whose focus is more the business aspect, marketing principal, 
we have two that do production. One is more processes in IT, if you will, like how we do the work. And one is specifically on the construction administration side, like how we follow through on construction. And then the last principle is really involved or sort of heads up our quality control processes. So yeah, we've spread that out, sort of the running the business. And I will say um, it's been a lot easier and, and we've seen a lot of a lot of success lately. I think, you know, some of that's just what's going on in the market, but uh, I think it's been that we've, as we've grown, we've been able to spread those roles out. So when there were only four principals, we had to take on all those roles and couldn't really focus. So as we've grown and, 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 um, you know, develop more principals and take on that role, we're just that much more successful because we can spend more focused time doing what we need to be doing. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. Uh, I like the structure that you have in place. Very different from your traditional architectural firm in designate, actually having designations and having responsibilities specific around those roles instead of everybody doing everything all at once. I, I think it's also, um, it allows us to have a more consistent product, I think, because now I haven't, you know, beyond the first couple of years I was out of school, I've been here for 33 years. So, um, but what I see in other firms where you have a sort of the, I think, Will, what you're saying, the sort of traditional practice where the principal in charge of X studio is, is leading the design of that studio and principal B is leading the design of that studio and the product can look vastly different. Yep. Or it, maybe not. But I think what we've done has allowed us to have a much more consistent product across those sectors. You know, so um, it's, you know, it's worked for us. And like I say, we we love what we're doing. So I think we'll we'll just keep going that way. But anyway. it seems like it's a, a, a very uh, intentional. How do we keep this small firm feel? even though we're, you know, 70, right? Like that's, that's not an easy thing. How do you, how do you keep that feel uh, when you grow? Like, and, and because it's inevitable, uh, Alan, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be the fortune teller, but you're going to keep getting bigger. So um, (laughs) maybe not, but uh, you know, inevitability uh, from the beginning, how, how do you keep that small firm feel, even though you're bigger? I think it's just those teams, you know, it's empowering the teams. Um, and again, we, we do things as a firm. I think I said to you guys once, um, yeah, growth may be inevitable. I, you know, I, I think I said the day I don't know everybody's name here is a bad day. So I don't, I'll be done at that point. And I I think that's true across the board. I mean, um, again, I think that the team's allow people to get much closer to have that camaraderie, the team's um teams will have their own they'll go out and do a happy hour or a dinner or something so they they have their own sort of team building and that's left up to the the team leaders but then we do other events like that like that um g works thing um we always do this fun thing at the end of the year in fact we're doing it tomorrow um where the the principals and it's 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 kind of some people think it's just for us to have fun, but, um, you know, we distribute bonuses at the end of the year and we've always, we've for years have made this kind of fun event out of it. So, you know, we'll dress up like racetrack drivers and we'll go race go-karts and then we come back here and race slot cars or something like that. Or we, one year we set up a putt-putt course. We had the teams build holes and then we developed clubs that we could play with. So there's a lot of, it's just, it's just camaraderie and creating that and, and being part of it. So, um, and it helps, I, I would say it really helps that, that four of us, really five of the principals that are here now have been here for 25 years or more of that experience. So we believe in that, you know, maybe as the firm evolves, as, as, you know, I and others leave, it'll change. I hope not because it's really, uh, again, it's been very successful and it's really fun. At least I think it's really fun. Um, you guys should maybe interview some of our employees, but I think, you know, the fact that we have such a, a, a low turnover rate probably speaks to that. 
you know? Yeah, the proof's in the pudding, right? So, you know, taking Hopefully. a whole, one thing, but, uh, you know, hey, people like to stay around. That's inherently, they must like what's happening there. Right. You had mentioned story, uh, story-based story design, and you mentioned that being a storyteller being very important. Uh, what what does story-based design mean? This seems like to be a word that is is happening more often. And uh, you, it sounds like you've been doing this for from the beginning. Yeah, I, I talked to our business development director, and we've been talking about story-based design probably since the late nineties. And it, it, I talked to her the other day and I'm like, maybe we need to come up with something else because now everybody's talking about stories, but the reality is that's, that's what we do. Right. I mean, we really believe that architecture contributes, can contribute to story being told. Right. And, and every project has a story. So, um, you know, that's just the mantra, like how do we connect sites? And when we talk about stories, you know, it's not, it's, you think about traditional context, which is, you know, physical context of, of where you're building, right? We really take that way beyond, and we're talking about cultural context, historical context, and and how those things layer into the building so that the building is unique. And, um, you know, I've often said to people, there's a, this, the word that gets thrown around in architecture is timeless architecture, right? What's timeless architecture? And, you know, you can say, well, it's, classic architecture or it's modern architecture or it's something else architecture postmodern i don't know but it's it's i don't think that's what it is to me timeless architecture is connecting architecture to a place so you can't ever take that away we you know the first visitor center we did was in the everglades national park and we really looked back at um the environment certainly of the everglades and that river of grass and how the indigenous peoples, the, the Seminoles built there. And we we sort of, the, how the, the the weather sort of affected change in, in the Everglades. And that became sort of the story we told through architecture. And the building that came out of that really becomes part of that environment. And you can never take that away. And you couldn't pick that building up and stick it somewhere else, right? So to me, that's the key is, Every building that we do is unique, and it's unique because it's responding to a specific story. We'd be at a school, a museum, a visitor center, nature center, a community center. It doesn't matter. Well, even if even if there are other people that are doing story based design, you are the OG of story based design. <laughs> that's that's what I gotta say. So you can you can put that tagline in. Put that on your business. <laughs> there you go. I will. Um, no, super interesting. Uh, and the fact that you've been doing it for so long, that's just ingrained in your culture. Um, uh, really cool to kind of hear about that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about PR for a second. Um, PR wasn't all, PR wasn't always a thing for you guys. It's kind of newer. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, what made you decide to go down that route? Um, it's funny. We were just talking about this today that, uh, yeah, I, I think because we grew from a small firm and um, it was never our focus, right? Architecture was the focus. Promoting ourselves wasn't. I think a lot of architects say this, you know, tend to try to be humble about what we do. Um, and so it just was, it was not front of mind. Um, but we started doing more higher profile projects and for instance we we did uh george washington's mount vernon visitor center and museum probably 12 years ago now or more and we really didn't promote it and the more we started to grow and get these higher profile jobs we just said you know maybe we need to be pushing that out more and um it's really helped to the point where i said I really wish we had thought about this and not been so shy about promoting what we do, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And again, growth for us is not size, but I think we would have maybe grown those market sectors and gotten better and better work in those sectors quicker, right? That being said, it's always Monday morning quarterbacking. So uh, we're really excited about where we are now. 
um, you know, I think, well, like you said, uh, you know, pushing story-based design, people are interested in it. And that's what we talk about. And um, it's it's been really helpful for us uh, as we move forward. So needless to say, PR is, is uh, another area that we really are focusing on. Part of that strategic plan that I mentioned uh, a minute ago, we're now in the process of adding the marketing plan onto that. And PR is certainly playing a big role, um, you know, in how we do that. You know, what what's the next whatever? What's the next piece of social media that we can take advantage of to to get our story out and let people know what we do? That makes sense. Uh, you, you being niched in too, so nationwide, uh, utilizing that PR or utilizing marketing in a way can... Um, get you known that somewhere where you're not right. You're in these coasts is where you're actually located, but it's like something's happening in Colorado or something's happening in uh, California, Nevada, wherever it's a lot easier to be known in other places when you have PR, or when you have marketing. Right. I think that, that idea of inbound, you know, inbound marketing for years, I mean, the firm was built early on on, you know, like a lot of firms who were responding to RFPs or there's some relationship that you already had. And, you know, as we got more known nationally, I would say the, excuse me, the way we're known nationally is probably through the the interpretive side, right? The visitor centers, nature center, museums. Uh, the other two markets are more local and regional. But what we were finding is we we didn't know about a lot of the, the bigger, uh, not just bigger, but really interesting projects are not public. So they don't go through a public process. And that's what sort of drove us to say, we really need to figure out how to drive those relationships. And I think PR is is the way to do that because we have to be known if somebody in Arizona is going to reach out to us. Otherwise we can't keep track of, you know, every museum, every visitor center in the country. It's just, it's really challenging. So again, I think we were probably a little late to the game in the PR market, but um, we're there now. And, and I think we're seeing a lot more work, you know, sort of walk in the door as opposed to us having to go chase it through a public process. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Arizona, massive build going on all over the the state. It is, it's booming out here, uh, as they say. So, uh, makes sense to, <laughs> to get your, your beak wet or you get, get out here, yeah. uh, because there's just a lot of work that's happening. Yeah. Well, if you know anybody, let us know. I, I, <laughs> I'll I'll keep you at top of mind when I hear about a, 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 a visitor center going up or a cultural center going up for sure. Um, so we talked we talked about your your niching into that. Uh, the the education side you mentioned that it's more localized, right? So is that would you say that's pretty pretty common when you have higher ed or you know K through twelve where it's like yeah you you want somebody that is in Baltimore, you want somebody that is local. Yeah, I think, you know, you talk about relationships, it's interesting because on the cultural side, uh, a lot of those projects, yeah, I would say probably the majority of those projects are more of a one-off, right? You're not going to have, I mean, a lot of our, something like 80% of our work is repeat work, but few of them, you know, if we do a nature center somewhere, we might do an addition later, but we're not going to do... 10 projects for that facility. Whereas the, say the K through 12 market, which is very local, it's sort of Baltimore and the surrounding counties here in Maryland, there's an ongoing relationship. They know us, we're constantly being, you know, we, we continue that relationship. We're working with them. Um, and so that's, it's sort of, maintaining a relationship versus going in and finding one. And it's not that the the cultural relationships don't last. And we do get a lot of work, I would say, through word of mouth from those institutions, but it's it's a little bit different way of, of looking at it. Um, so it, yeah, I, it's funny. I, I was just thinking my one partner says he's he he's a married guy and I'm a dater, I guess, even though I'm married, because I like to develop relationships and he likes to maintain them. So and he's sort of heads up our our local, the the K through 12 market. So he loves to just be involved in that community and continue to to foster those relationships, which is what's necessary there. So, yeah, that 
that uh, the skill sets are different. The the nurturer in comparison to the let you know let me date I you guess, yeah. effectively. Yeah, that, certainly. Uh, I it, it, speaking of work, and I don't know how how this could go. Uh, I know Arizona State is uh, developing a whole new sector of stuff. I know that's technically higher education, but uh, I feel like there's there's more crossover to cultural components when it gets to higher ed than than certainly K through twelve. I think. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, so you know, there, there's possible work out here for you. I'll, I'll find out yeah, who's yeah. in charge, and, and I'll, I'll get you, there you go. the president. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Um, yeah, and the 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 higher ed um, is interesting for us, and our inroads there really is the, the sort of the cultural side. So you know, visitor centers, theaters. So you can think student services buildings. We've done some of those, but that's really how we can sort of reach outside our you know our Baltimore and more local to get some of those projects. So it's leveraging that work. Um, and we do a fair amount of uh, teaming work too. So uh, we'll have other architects come in and say, hey, we've got a lead on this project, not necessarily in our in our focus sector, but we will we will act in that capacity um, locally. Makes sense. Yeah. So I want to move over to technology because we've talked about people. We've talked a whole bunch about people. Good amount about process technology. Uh, it's an important piece to every architectural firm. Um, on the spectrum of bleeding edge, uh, all the way to average, below average, right? Where would you guys put yourself in terms of investments in technology? Uh, well, not. I wouldn't say bleeding edge. I would say leading edge. Um, we were one of the first firms here in, in Baltimore to go all in on BIM, right? So we're we're a Revit firm, uh, but we've been doing that for, I don't know, since almost since it's been around. I mean, once it sort of settled down and we saw that as, as this is going to be the technology, we were all in. I mentioned, uh, you know, we also have specialists in the firm. So we have a technology and practice specialist. He's the one that leads those um, GTOTs. Uh, it talks about that technology, but he's constantly testing new technology, looking at it. I just had a conversation with him the other day about AI. Um, don't ask me about AI. I have no idea where AI is going yet, but uh, the jury, the jury is certainly not out. I think, I think it's going to play a role. It's just, what is that role going to be in architecture and how do we, how do we deal with it? But, but so, so he's constantly looking for better ways to do that. How do we leverage uh, BIM, Revit? Uh, how do we cross-pollinate between SketchUp and Grasshopper and Revit? And what's the right tool for the right part of the production? So um, it's really important to us. And I, I think we benefited from being early adopters in, uh, in the sort of the BIM technology and Revit. And I think that's sort of been... Um, it became critical to us to continue that. So constantly pushing technology, but I would not say bleed. we don't just grab onto something because it's there. We want to make sure that it's been tested a little bit uh, and we're constantly looking at that. And then we incorporate it as much as we can. And it's, it's frankly been, uh, I think probably key to our success in many ways, it makes us more efficient. So we can, we can, you know, take on more of that work that we like to do. Has uh, switching, let's say, platforms or to new, you know, since it's obviously an investment, not a, not a cost to you guys, has switching technologies, has it ever been painful? Uh, and if so, you know, why keep doing it then? I would say yes to the former. I mean, anytime you switch, there's slightly different ways of doing things, right? So... Again, the guy who's doing that um, is testing these things, sort of beta testing them locally, and then he'll bring it to the technology committee. It starts at the technology committee, and they sort of work it, test it further. If we decide it's something that we want to do, then it goes to the principal, the, the full complement of principals. So we don't – we try not to switch platforms 
uh, without really thinking about it because of what you just said. Often, and we've learned this over time, right? There's times when you'll switch from one platform to another thinking it's better only to find out it's just different really, right? The way you do things is a little bit different. So we're, we try to be very thoughtful about how we do that. But again, we want to make sure that that we're leveraging technology as best we can. So we want to be sort of in, in the forefront of, of all of that. Multiple layers of vetting prior to coming to, is this a thing we're definitely going to do or not? No, that makes tons of sense, which is the cool thing of the committees. I, I think a lot of companies miss on this, like having a committee of your people that can kind of, you know, be your ear to the ground or your eyes and ears or your testing or your beta. Um, people miss on that. And that's why I, that's a lot of reason why technologies often um, get implemented that shouldn't be, or don't, when they do get implemented, even though they're a good technology, don't catch on because you don't get the buy-in from people that are actually going to use it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he also has a, um, a couple of different focus groups. So like we have a Revit user group who he teaches people how to be model managers. So with within each of those teams, there's, a, you know, sort of an embedded expert, if you will, in that technology and other technologies as well. Um, but I think that, you know, um, you mentioned sort of the, how we manage that and the consensus building. And I think when you talk about that small firm mentality, that's another one of those, right? Like, we, excuse me, understood early on that we all had various areas of expertise, uh, you know, various experiences, and that it really shouldn't be incumbent on one person to be making these decisions. So one thing that is held constant throughout our development is we do things as a group, as a principal group. It's grown to have other layers. So we have associates, we have senior associates, and there are certain tasks that they take on and it sort of moves up. We we make the final decisions, but it's just an understanding that everybody has something to offer. And I think that helps in that sort of, you, you talk, you know, Justin, you talked about the familial, how do we keep that? I think that's part of it too, because nobody's holding themselves out as the be all end all anywhere. And that helps the conversation. It helps people feel like they belong. And it's it's just really part of our culture. Yeah, the removing of ego uh, can be yeah. uh, astronomically beneficial. Yeah, I think that's right. That requires, are, so that requires, you know, even from the committee perspective, trusting trusting that the people that are on the committees are going to do their due diligence and not having to redo the work. Cause then that's ego right there is sure. If you, if you don't allow the committee to do their thing and you don't trust the committee, then um, you're either redoing the work, redoing the research, or you're essentially trying to create an accountability without giving the authority to those individuals that they are making the right decision. So, yeah. kudos, so kudos to you and really yeah. doing it the right way. Well, I think, um, you know, I mentioned things like some of those education programs where we're really um, pushing people to be critical without just, um, yeah, without just objecting to something or, you know, um, pushing that critical thought so that when the committees come to us with some, you know, we want to do X, everybody's empowered. They don't feel like they have to sit back and just take it. They can be, they ask really hard questions. And it's because I think we've, we've fostered that the critique can be a good thing. It is a good thing. And so the, the worst question is the one that's not asked. Right. And so we've got the committees that make the recommendation, but then you have the other people that are part of the decision-making process that that are feel free to be critical and ask really tough questions. And I think that's where we get to the right decisions. It's, it's really that sort of consensus building. Um, it's sort of structured consensus building, but it's still consensus building. Great way of putting it. That's great. Um, I want to switch gears here for a second, because I think what you have to say and your experience is very important. Um, and what we're about to talk about. Um, because 
you hear it in the news with big co public companies, but you don't necessarily get to talk to the smaller companies that live through it. So you had lived through and survived a cyber attack. Um, could you talk, you know, in, in whatever way that you can, uh, share with the people, you know, what your experience was before, after, right? Even mentality yeah. of what you thought before uh, and after, um, and as well as, you know, uh, any changes in your stance around it as well. Uh, sure. I mean, I would say first and foremost, it's something you don't want to go through. Um, <laughs> kinda, it it really does put everything on its head, right? I mean, everything we've been talking about here gets affected in that one instant that that happens. So, yes, we were attacked. I will say that we um, managed to get out. We did not. We did not pay the ransom. We. Uh, I guess we've we've always took us seriously, right? So we had compartmentalized information enough that we were confident that we could get most of that back and and move forward. So that was the good thing. Um, and you know, I I've talked to others, and um, you know, it's just it it can it can really ruin a firm, right? I mean, it it's devastating. So. Um, I don't know. I would, I was telling somebody this the other day. I, I don't know that we were ever cavalier. I think, you know, Will, you said it. I think smaller firms tend to not think about it because you think of these huge firms or huge corporations that have, you know, tons of money. And, and I think as a smaller business, you don't tend to think about it so much or tend to focus on it. Um, we do have a, a, an IT specialist in-house as well. Uh, he's an architect, but he really, again, we encourage people here to do what their passion is. So he heads up a lot of our IT. So he was doing things that some of us weren't maybe even as aware of as we should have been, right? Again, compartmentalizing some of that information. So that helped us. Um, I would say as a as a recommendation that people just really need to take it seriously and really need to think about it because everybody's the target. I think it's easy to say, to be naive and say, you know, it's a big, wonderful world out there where we all get along, but there's a lot of people out there that that really want to ruin your life and take your money and take your project, you know, whatever it is. So I would just say, take it very seriously and, um, and then you'll, you'll probably be okay because you're going to be, you're going to be doing the right things. Obviously consult experts and understand how to, how to deal with information and that sort of thing. Well, a, thank you for sharing. Cause I'm sure that's, you know, vulnerable. Uh, it's a spot of vulnerability that not a lot of companies like to share about, but I think you being able to survive that, right. And come out stronger uh, and do more because of that. It's a bit of a wake up call. Not every company survives those type of attacks. About 60% 60 com 60 of companies, especially on the small, medium business aspect, they don't survive, right? Yeah. Or within six months to a year, they close their doors because they never you know, fully recover, whether it's the data, day-to-day right. -day operations, et cetera, right? And these right. are the things that are not talked about on the news, right? You see the big companies, but they also have huge insurance to help right. the recovery, you know, et cetera. So, uh, A, thank you for, for sharing. And B, um, uh, in terms of, you know, if there's anyone that's out there and wants a second opinion, obviously, I may know a company. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so, uh, and I'm sure the decision making has changed since then. Uh you know, and what you thought you should be doing versus now what you're doing, I'm sure is very different. Well, and I think, I think it's just front of mind, right? So it's something that we're constantly, I just talked to our guy here the other day and said, are we good? Do we have, you know, these things taken care of? 
are they compartmentalized the way we need them to be so that we could do this? And and so it's, you know, I, I'm not the expert, so I don't know how he does that, but I trust him. And it's, again, front of mind. I think that's the important thing. You know, you mentioned insurance. I would definitely recommend people have insurance. Um, but just always thinking about it and making sure that that you you have a plan, right? And And make it work. It's not something you can ignore anymore. Uh, not in at the all. That we live in. Well, I mean, no, not at all. There's a lot of things you can't ignore, but that's certainly one of them. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Justin, uh, do you have anything else that we want to talk about before we close up shop? No, we're we're ready to go. Go ahead, Will. Then, down to our last question. Oh boy. If you were to go back in time 20 years, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? If you went back far enough, you would maybe tell yourself not to be a Green Bay Packer fan. That's what I would hope. But, you know, that's that maybe that's a little biased. I don't know. Just throw it out there. You know, I will, since you said that, I'm just going to say this that one of the things that we believe in in this firm comes from the Green Bay Packers. Because they really believe in de- developing people from the bottom up. And I won't take full credit for that, but it certainly has come into our calculus because we rarely hire people with more than four or five years of experience because we we want to train them in the way that we design, story-based design, how we do run this business. So that's – it also doesn't upset the apple cart, right? Nothing – hurts 30 people uh, that are maybe young people out of school than bringing somebody in above them because it's it's one more thing obstacle they have to surpass to, to grow in the firm. So we've always believed in that. And it's I think that's another thing that's been really important for us. That's great. Well, I'm I'm mad that we didn't get that out of you before. We talked about people so much. Well, you didn't yeah. ask about Green Bay before, I, right? I, yeah, I try not to. That's As a Bears fan, I really try not to ask about Green Bay. But again, if you could go back 20 years, saying 20 years, thing, what would you tell yourself? Uh, I don't, I don't know. That's a really tough one because I feel like a lot of what we do is, you know, it's like the PR thing, right? It's, it's a little bit of Monday morning. We learn as we go. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's really just about staying disciplined, but I, we've had fits and starts along the way where we've tried to veer a little here or there, but if 20 years ago, if I said, just stick with, and that's what I tell people here, right? When, when something will come up and it might take us off course, what I say is, no, we just have to maintain our discipline. We've been very successful because of that discipline and that's what we should do. Um, And it'll, it, it will grow. The company will grow. If you do what you're doing and do it really well, unless you're, there's some finite project type out there that's going to go away, then I think you'll be successful. So I guess I would just re it would just reinforce the things that we've learned through that experience. And we would have done it sooner. It's like PR, right? Had had we thought about it and taken it a little bit more seriously earlier, we might be much further along. We might be doing much more great work. We'd be bigger. I don't know. I don't know. You know. Yeah, you might have the office in Arizona already. You know, we might. We might. <laughs> I, yeah. I actually am re-listening uh, to, not reading. Uh, uh, Discipline is destiny by Ryan Holiday. Uh, that's a good one. And if uh, you're looking for Christmas gifts for your firm, that might be one. If you're a uh, big on discipline, uh, so uh, essentially keeping the course, staying the work, do the work. If you yep. do the great work, great things will come. It's not yeah. about it's not about a timing thing. It's just keeping at it, um, which I love. So uh, that's great. Yeah, um, you've been great, Alan. We loved having you on. Uh, if uh, the people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, well, I would say we could online probably. I mean, go to our okay. website and and reach out that way. Awesome. Um, yeah. I'll throw all of your website uh, and social um, links into the show notes. Uh, And before we go, is there anything else you'd like to tell the people before we uh, say our adieu? 
No, I I think it's been a great conversation. I think, you know, talking to you guys, it just reinforces to me that um, having fun at what you do and loving the people you work with is critical to success. So that's, I guess that's how I'd leave it. Uh, it's been great talking to you. You've been inspirational to us. Uh, so we really, really thank you for your time. Uh, we truly do. Uh, and uh, for our listeners, I hope you had as much fun as we did because we had a blast. Uh, and until next time, adios. adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale to help us reach even more people. Please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep keep building building scale. scale.